everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm the host, your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Uh, thank you all so, uh, so much for joining me for this episode. Uh, it, it's, it's a little weird today. I left my headphones at home, so I'm just kind of recording, so I can't, so for the past, you know, Four years, I've, I've recorded with headphones on, so I can kind of hear my voice. But I can kind of hear my voice, just but, but it's just regular, so it feels different. It feels more like I'm just yelling at my computer instead of recording a podcast. So I'm going to try to wrap my head around this today and hope for the best, so be patient with me. So um, if you guys are new, if, if you all are new to the podcast, it's question and answer-based podcast, and we are going to get into some questions today. So you can go over to Fearcast Podcast and send, or fearcastpodcast.com. You can send me a question over there. I read all of them. I see them. I know we've got a backlog right now, um, and which which is a good thing. It's a good problem to have. Unfortunately, some questions I have to skip over because they're way too long, or I have to I have to edit them down, which takes time. So you know, I I, I do get to them. I read them. I do see them. I promise. Um, and we are going to try to get through and knock out a bunch of questions today to accelerate the process. But you can go over to Fearcast Podcast as I've mentioned before. You can also send me an audio question. Which if you send me an audio question, it gets to the top of the list, and you can send me an, you can send me your recording to um, like a link to it through fearcastpodcast.com. You can also send it to, send it to me over at uh, Instagram. I'm fearcastpodcast over there. Um, feel free if you have some time and would like to go over there. Follow me over there. I, I, I send out uh, announcements of the podcast. I put put up some posts every now and again. Considering starting a live um, Q&A on Fridays, um, I don't know if anybody would be interested in that, um, but I'm thinking about doing it. So we'll see if I get around to it or if there's any interest in it. So um, send it to me over there. Top of the list. You get the idea. That's what I'm saying. Uh, So um, how are you today? I hope everybody is doing well. We're kind of settling into the new year. I think we've skipped over. We've, we've passed what I think I think people say is the most depressing day. It's like somewhere like halfway through January, the most depressing day of the year. Um, whether or not that's real or just something Psychology Today said, I don't know. But um, we made it through. And then we're on through what we're going to get through this month. And we're going to get on to February. And then we've got Valentine's Day, which has its own stressors for a lot of people. So lots of stuff. So one of the things that had come to mind, that I'll say this briefly at the top, and then we'll get into questions. And I got four questions I'm going to try to tackle briefly, but go over them. So um, I was reminded this week in talking to one of my clients or working with one of my clients about um, this idea of celebrating our successes rather than celebrating our failures. So the idea of celebrating one's failures comes from a book called With Winning in Mind. Uh, it's, um, uh, it, it's, it, it's a book written by a, a, um, a rifleman. So he's an Olympic uh, guy who shoots a gun. And um, he's very, very good. So, um, so he kind of talks about how, you know, when he's shooting, and he's shooting a target, right? He, it's, you know, 10 concentric circles, and he's trying to hit the middle, obviously. Um, maybe that wasn't obvious. Anyway, so he's trying to hit the middle. And he does it, right? He does it all the time, except for sometimes, no matter how good you are, you're going to miss. Sometimes instead of just nailing the 10 every time, the middle ring, you're going to hit the nine, right? Which is really good. But 
it ain't a 10, right? Now, I, I know from my you know archery experience, because I was a big dork for a long time, that I did archery a lot, mostly archery. That's all I was for a while. I, I said I knew two things, OCD and anxiety. That's, or excuse me, OCD and uh, archery. Now I just, I don't even know archery anymore. Point is, is, um, you know, when you miss the 10, man, you can blame it on a lot of things, right? Was my form off? Did I, you know, did I, I, um, uh, the common blame is the wind, right? Which is a problem once you're shooting indoors because there's no wind to mess with your shot. But, you know, we, we find all these excuses for why the shot didn't get to, why did I not get a 10? And we, we ruminate about it and we mess with our gear and we think about, you know, every little step through that, that could have gone wrong. And, and then we try to figure it out, and sometimes we can, and sometimes we can't, and then we try to get on with things. But you know what? When we nail the 10, you know what we do? Nothing. Nothing. We just move by it as if it was nothing. So he, so the, the author talks about why is it that we celebrate, and he calls it celebrate, like we make a big deal about the, quote, failure, right? Getting a nine, still pretty good. But we celebrate the, quote, failure, and we don't celebrate successes. Why are we doing that to ourselves? Now, sometimes when you hit that nine, you can pretty, pretty easily identify something that went wrong, right? Um, you know, maybe it was, you know, in your form, you, 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 dropped the, you dropped the bow. I'm thinking archery again. You dropped the bow. You, 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 you messed up your release. There's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. But if we keep searching for things, you know, we'll just spin out into problems. And sometimes, you know, why, why did we get the nine? I don't know, just because. It just happened. Mistakes happen. Things happen, right? It's a lot going on. What he argues then is to not spend time celebrating our failures, right? Unless something really jumps out at us. But instead, we celebrate our wins. We celebrate the tens. We make a big deal about those things. And we, we treat them not as something like weird that happened, like, oh my gosh, how weird is it that I got a 10, right? But like, yeah, I did it. I did it again. Yes, I nail tens because that's what I do. I nail tens, right? I hit, I hit the middle, whatever. You get the idea. I wonder what it is for you out there that you are celebrating. What, what, which one are you celebrating more? Are you celebrating your successes more or are you celebrating your failures more? I'm willing to bet for some of you out there, for some of me in here, we celebrate our failures more. And our brain tends to give us those and make us ruminate on those. Make us ruminate. It invites us to ruminate on those things. And sometimes we take it up on the invitation and we start to ruminate and think about and stress about and, and consider and reconsider and relitigate all the things that went wrong over and over and over again. Not just stuff that happened recently, but stuff that happened in the past, stuff that happened in the future. We think about all the mess ups that we had theoretically. I don't think I'm the only one here who's done this. And why do we do this to ourselves? One of the things that I'd recommend it, and one of the things that I try to do for myself is, is, to, is to resist the effort to, to celebrate my failures. And, you know, when things mess up, and they do, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but when they do get messed up, or I do, I, I'm not hitting a 10 on, you know, whatever that is, is I, I, I think just for a moment, is there something that immediately jumps out to me as, as a problem, or something that immediately jumps out to me as, you know, a, a, a glaring 
a glaring mistake. And if nothing pops out, I move on. If something comes to my mind that goes, oh yeah, that's right, it was this. All right, fine. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dig further than a couple of seconds, a couple of moments to figure out if there was something that was wrong. Now, when things go well, those need celebrating. And we celebrate them as as pointing out the positive things that we did, not the things that we didn't do that led to the success, but what are the things that we did? Man, I spoke really clearly in that meeting. Man, I spent a lot of time on my homework and it, and it, and it, and it came out it came out really good. Man, I studied really hard and it showed off. It 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 it, um, it, it reaped reward in the in the test, right? What are the things that you did that led to the result? Right? We celebrate those as something that is positive, that was within our control. So what I'd encourage everybody out there to do is to spend some time thinking about what, is, what are your successes and how do you celebrate those? What are the specific things that you do that can help reward yourself for that and rather than, rather than spending time on your failures? So that's all I'm going to say about that today. So I'm going to try to zippity zip through all these questions um, and we'll see how they go. I'm going to grab some coffee because I'm, I'm mostly coffee just as a person. All right. So this first question comes from Rose. Rose says, hi, Kevin, I have a question regarding moral or morality and rumination. I find myself constantly ruminating about moral questions, particularly on distressing illegal topics. I'm tormented of questions such as, why is it, uh, or why is it wrong to do this? And, answer every, and every answer I give is followed by another question or doubt. I feel like I've run out of answers, which leaves me feeling like I don't find these things immoral at all, which is distressing to me as it feels like I could go and do these bad things since nothing is stopping me. Do you have any advice on this? I feel so confused on how to approach this. I just want to feel normal again. So, Rose, thank you so much for this question. This is a this is a really good one. I like this. I like this one. I like talking about morality and rumination and stuff like that. So, anyways, all right. So, it's a it's a tricky question in the sense that sometimes you can. F- so there there's kind of the 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 answer that I would give. You know, like a a a a, a, a non OCD sufferer, and the answer that I'm going to give to to you, Rose, and the, to a certain degree they're the same, and but they're anyway they're same and they're different. That doesn't help at all, does it? So, um, so I mean, one thing is to to recognize that some laws don't make any stinking sense. Some of them we have to round up to making sense. Sometimes we we have laws in life that are there. Just because we needed something, we needed something to coordinate the, you know, life, right? Why is it that we drive on the right side of the road in America? I don't know, because we do, right? Because we, I don't know, didn't want to be England. I don't know. But why is it that other countries drive drive on the left? I don't know. Does it make any sense? I don't know. I mean, some of the bigger questions you might be asking is like, okay, why don't we steal, Right? Why don't we why don't we kill people we're mad at? Right? So sometimes we can try we sometimes we can acknowledge some answers to it and sometimes it's going to be with outside of our ability to do so. But notice what's happening here. It says every answer I give is followed by yet another question or doubt. 
I think that is where OCD is latching on to you. I, I certainly get the the interest, if it is indeed interesting to you, to to consider laws, to consider why is it that this one is the one that we have, or why is it that this one is considered moral or good or right or one that I ought to follow? But then OCD jumps in and says, no, no, that's not enough. Something about the answer that you provided is lacking, and you need to get back to the drawing board, read, litigate, get to the top of the list, and go through all the points yet again. It's at this point you need to recognize it's OCD, and then you need to practice tolerating that feeling of of the, of the unanswered, right? And it might be this 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 yearning feeling. It might be this draw, this 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 pull, this urge. It might be an just an empty feeling. It might you might feel angry at the arbitrariness. Arbit- I think that's the word arbitrarity? That's not even a word. The arbitrary components to this, right? Or arbitrary aspects of this. So that's the, that's the feeling that we need to then, you need to then sit with in not answering this question, because there is, there is no answer that is going to fully satisfy the OCD. And it's always going to make you doubt yet again. So there's a decision that needs to be made. Why is it that I do this? It's because I do this. In other words, why is it that I follow these rules? It's because these are the rules that I follow. Now, I will say in, the, in this decision to follow some rules, you might also decide that there are rules that you are not going to follow. And with that, there will be consequences to them, potentially, and probably, right? If you say, you know, going, you know, going 65 miles an hour on the freeway or whatever the speed limit is, wherever you are, Rose, going 65 miles on the freeway is dumb. I'm going to go 120, right? Okay, go for it. There may be consequences and you might be putting other people in danger. But again, if that's something that you don't care about, that's something you don't care about, but no, there will be consequences to it. So that's perhaps a weird, weird tangent. Anyway, but at some point, there is going to need to be the acceptance that you are going to run out of answers and that it's going to feel empty. So I wonder how you can, it, how you can kind of catch yourself when you're, when you're giving that, when you've been given the invitation to ruminate about it, when you're given the invitation to think about the morality of things. Now, this might be something to acknowledge for yourself as a pitfall, right? That, that whenever your brain asks you to jump into the, the, the reason for things, the morality about um, laws or the mora- morality about uh, certain things. Because um, I'm picking on laws, and I don't think you actually even mentioned laws. Why do we do this? Why do we do things, I suppose? You know, why is it that we, I don't know, treat people with respect? Why is it that we say please and thank you? I don't know. This might be things you're worried about. But if your brain's asking, why do we do this? Well, I'm open to a one-and-done question, right? Seeking, the, seeking it, right? Google it if you've never asked it before. Talk to your friend. Talk to someone who you know and trust and think knows, knows the answer to this. Ask them, and then go with that answer. But it's that second doubt of, ah, it doesn't feel like it's enough. Ah, I feel like I should do this, do this more. Practice acknowledging that, that you can't get to the bottom of it and that maybe you're not going to know. Maybe you're going to be doing this arbitrarily. Maybe you're going to be doing this and doing it wrong. Okay. And then you keep going, right? The other point to this is 
you said it feels like it, you know, it feels like I don't have uh, uh, which makes me feel like I I don't find these things immoral at all, which is distressing to me as it feels like I could go and do these bad things because nothing's stopping you. If you're fine, it, so perhaps that's the. I'll say that's probably the reason for the ruminations. You're trying to give yourself certainty, confidence, solid ground to anchor yourself that I shouldn't do this because I find it wrong, right? And giving yourself certainty that you're never going to do those things. You might. We might do those things. It doesn't mean that you are. It doesn't mean that you want to. It means that you might, even if you find it immoral, there are a lot of things I find immoral, and yet I may do those things out of necessity, out of need, out of who knows. Sometimes when I talk to folks who have this similar fear, the thing that's underlying it is this is this worry that they're going to be the complete opposite of who they are, right? They're going to act completely out of their character, right? It's And, and sometimes expo- exposures to like movies like Jekyll and Hyde um, – or, or, you know, stories in that vein, or, you know, werewolf movies, uh, vampire movies, you know, like stuff like that where you're like turned into something that you don't want to do or forced to do something you didn't want to do um, can be helpful. Um, the other element is, uh, is, is to just acknowledge that we, that, that we have the potential to do these bad things, but we often choose not to, right? It's having confidence in who it is that we are, building that confidence that, that, Historically speaking, we don't do these terrible things, and we try to be the best that we can. And we're going to see in this. We're going to see in this moment: Am I going to do this act? Am I going to live in this immoral way, or am I going to take take my valued route? And we choose in moment by moment, rather than trying to decide globally that we're never going to do these things. So I'm sure I'm missing something. I think as I read through this initially, I had some thoughts on this, or I've just yammered on it a little too much. So Rose, thank you so much for that question. And uh, I hope that was helpful. If you have follow-ups to that, again, go over to Fearcast Podcast. Let me know. Go over to Instagram, everybody. If you found uh, there was something else that you wanted to add to this, go for it, and we'll add that up. So let's find where did I organize all of my other questions. (laughs) Well, that's one of them. That's a very short one, but I wanted to talk about that one first. All right. So this this question comes from Matthew. Matthew says, as someone who has recovered significantly due to ERP, books, and podcasts like yours, um, or like your own, I've begun wanting to give back to the community. Awesome, Matthew. Uh, he says, there's just so much bad information and reassurance seeking on so many message boards, but the path to becoming a specialist seems very daunting and a lot of schooling. It is. It is. Um, I'd be hesitant in doing any sort of media without specialized credentials. We're seeing OCD specialists, uh, yeah, we're seeing OCD specialists with six months to a year long wait list and have wonder and, and, and was wondering if there was. If, if there were was more people, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. reading is hard today, everybody. If I was wondering if there's more people like myself who's been through it, who could, um, who's been through it, could do, or I think there's a word that's missing. Anyways, he wants to know what he can do to help others who are struggling. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for your patience and my not being able to read today. Ugh, let me leave all this in just to just to show that, I don't know, I make mistakes. You're like, yeah, we've heard it. Anyways, so Matthew, um, first off, awesome that you've made significant progress. That's huge. And I'm glad that you were able to find help through books, 
books, ERP, and podcasts, right? So there's a ton of good information out there. And Matthew, man, you are right. There's a bunch of garbage information out there. And I see this all the time. I'm on a couple of Facebook um, forums for OCD. I see it on the, the OCD subreddit. Um, it's nothing but reassurance, not nothing, but there's a lot of reassurances from people um, who care, who don't want to see, you know, their, the, you don't want to see other people struggling. So naturally, they want to give them an out. And you know what, it feels a lot more compassionate to just give them the answer, give them reassurance, give them as much certainty as they can lend them. But unfortunately, it does them no favors, no real favors in life, because it doesn't give them encouragement to do what you did, Matthew, to do ERP, to resist the compulsion. Number one, it's to resist the compulsion. So, there's, so anybody who's on boards, please take those all with a grain of salt um, and try to hone in on the people who are offering uh, offering a consistent voice amongst themselves that are pushing you towards facing the fear and resisting compulsion. Follow those voices. So uh, that's all I'll say about that. Um, so, you, so Matthew, yes, you are right. To become a specialist in, in OCD, there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of schooling. I think at at the bare minimum, is likely if you're in America, is likely to be a a two year graduate program to get a master's degree in in clinical psychology or or uh, social work, um, and uh, and then to so there's that. And then you have to get specialized training because your master's program will teach you nothing about OCD. Trust me. Um, they talked about OCD for about 20 minutes in my program. And my wife has a doctorate, so she went to school for six years. And they talked about OCD for like an hour. So you're not going to get... So all of my training came afterwards through my internships. And you can go through... And so a, my California license required 3,000 hours of, of work with people before I can be licensed. And, a lot, and the vast majority of that was in OCD work. Anyhow, so Matthew, um, uh, one thing that I would say, one thing that you can do is become an advocate Right, the IOCDF, the International OCD Foundation, has a fantastic advocacy program, and you can reach out to some advocates. A lot of them are, are on, um, I, uh, a lot of them are on Instagram. Excuse me, yes, a lot of them are on Instagram and Twitter, and you know those those sort of things. Uh, reach out to them um, and find out what you can do to help. Um, uh, Chris Johnston comes to mind. He's um, he maybe is he the lead advocate. I don't know. Ethan Smith is another great advocate you can reach out to. There's a bunch of others that that uh, I'm sure you can find. But reach out to them and see what you can do to help. Some of it may simply be be on the, join the boards, join the Facebook groups, join uh, the the Instagram subreddit, and offer ed, offer good helpful advice. I think that's if you could do nothing other than this, I would say that's a great place to start. It's going to cost you nothing, and it's you can use your experience in that way. So, um, so I'd say start there, reach out to other people. But again, um, even on its most basic level, you can correct other people when they talk about their, you know, their obsessive Christmas disorder. You can correct other people who use the term OCD incorrectly, right? And not in a a schmuckish sort of way. I'm trying to not use my pirate language today. Um, You can do it in a very kind way, in just a very educational matter of fact level uh, or matter of fact way. And, and to help spread the word in that way. 
So Matthew, I love that you have the heart for this and wanting to connect with other people and, and help push other people in the direction in the right direction and lead people down the path that you've gone. And I think these are some good ways to do that. So reach out to other people, but again, just just simply being a voice on the internet is a great place to start. So Matthew, thank you so much. So the next one, again, is going to be rather quick. The next one comes from Sam. Sam says, is recovery possible with OCD? I've had setbacks while trying to get, she says, trying to get normal. Um, I, I, I'm just curious if recovery is possible. Love your podcast. So Sam, yes, of course, OCD is recoverable. Um, and Matthew, the previous person, uh, previous asker, what is evidence of that? And there's evidence all over the internet of people who have gone through the struggle and have recovery. Now, it depends on your version and your definition of what recovery is. So recovery can can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. If you mean you recover OCD and you are you return to your per, your quote the person you are you were before the diagnosis or before the initial spike, or if if recovery is that you you never get anxiety or have rumination again or get um, you know get, get caught in compulsive behavior or have obsession intrusive thoughts again then that's not recovery. Recovery is living with it and through it and despite it, right? So you've had setbacks. Yes, you are going to have setbacks. Everybody has setbacks in the thing that they're trying to do that's hard. The thing that they're trying to do that is different from what they have been doing, right? And this is anything. Think about any habit you've tried to change. But think about how many people are are completely 100% successful with New Year's resolutions, right? That's them trying to do something different, right? They, they have big goals. I'm going to go to the gym every week, three times a week, and I'm going to lose 30 pounds or, you know, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to read more. It's fits and starts, you read a bunch, you don't read for a week and a half. Then you read a little bit more, and then you watch, I don't know, The Circle, in all of four seasons, which I have done, shamefully. If you don't watch The Circle, it's probably bad for you. It's probably bad for me. Anyways, it's on Netflix. It's a problem. All right, the, um, but the point is, Sam, you're going to have setbacks. And when you say to get back to normal again, is normal the person that you were? Because you can never be the person that you were. You're only the person that you are and are becoming. And I say that for me too. I can't go back and be the man that I was before I got married. I can't be the man that I am or that, that I was before I graduated my graduate program. Because I've gone through that experience and now I am me. Who has gone through that experience. Sam, you are going to be you who has gone through OCD. And you are going to be you who is going through the process of OCD recovery. Give yourself the grace to be you. And give yourself the grace to be the person that you're becoming and the freedom to become that person. Think about the person that you would like to be and what steps you would take to get to that person? What would need to change? What would you do differently? What would you be doing? What would you not be doing? And start implementing those things one little bite at a time. That's how we get better. That's how we improve. That's how we challenge ourselves and grow. 
But to say that you're going to get to normal, you're never going to get to normal. Who's normal? Name a person that's normal, because I'm going to also then point out somebody who's got a bunch of weird stuff to them, myself included, right? And by weird, I mean eccentric or struggle or problem or shame or, or diagnosis or health issue, right? We all have a thing. I, I always say everyone has a thing. We have a physical health thing. We have a mental health thing. And the lucky ones of us get both. So we all have a thing. So nobody's normal and good. I don't want to be normal. Normal's boring. So Sam, give yourself permission to be that person. Give yourself permission to have setbacks into my previous point to hit the nines. You're going to hit a nine sometimes and then you get back to it. It isn't that you hit the nine. It's that you reset and, and try to hit the 10 again. And the faster that you reset and keep moving forward will lead you to recovery faster. So, Sam, thank you so much for that question. Um, my, all right, the last one, it's a, this one, it, it might be a little heavy, um, but this question comes from Stacy, and I'm going to just drink my coffee yet again. Okay. All right. So this last question comes from Stacy. Stacy says, love your podcast, um, and maybe this can help another. So, after my miscarriage and my husband, or uh, after my miscarriage and my husband didn't want to try again for another child... I developed behaviors of avoidance of any reminders of pregnancy, rumination, uh, research, and became fixated on running out of time, uh, on, on running out of time and trying again, and that healing for me was trying again, and there was no other way. I'm working with a therapist to let go of the guilt and shame I felt after my pregnancy loss as missing my last chance. It also developed in me, or excuse me, it, it also developed into feeling not good enough, moral scrupulosity, just right OCD, health anxiety, and real event OCD, rumination, and intrusive thoughts. How can I let this event go and live in the present and not in the past in the distress and discomfort of, of reminders of all the feelings to not trigger, or, and all those feelings to not trigger and distort my life? I avoid parties and events and anything that brings the discomfort. I was diagnosed with OCD after a full assessment, and I never imagined OCD because of the media stigma. And I just thought, um, I just thought I was too sensitive and not able to let go. And I was just, and it was just normal anxiety like I, that, that I always had. I have a beautiful family, and that I love and cherish. And so, I would like to be present in the now and not that event. Thank you for what you do, Stacy. Thank you so much for this question. Thank you for your vulnerability uh, in sharing this. Uh, I'm so sorry you've gone through all of that M- miscarriage and all the things that come with that can be overwhelming to say the least, and it can. It, it, it can send someone into a spiral, and it sounds like it has. We'll say, I'm glad that you are working with a therapist and working with this to move past and to keep moving past this. Um, as someone who struggled with infertility, I know what that feeling is. It's, it's different. I recognize it's different. And my struggle, our struggle, was different than yours. But that feeling of loss is real. That feeling of 
pain is real. That's all I'll say with that. So how can you let this event go and live in the present and not in the past? One of the things that I would recommend doing is patiently and compassionately recognizing that you're in pain and that it hurts and that it will pass. The memory, though, probably won't, and the feeling may never fully go away. And that makes you human, just like all the rest of us. We remember things, we remember strong emotional things as people, and they stick with us. This, will, this may stick with you. There, it's going to be different for different people at different phases of the mourning process, of the, of the recovery process through that. At the very beginning, I would recommend lick your wounds and take care of yourself. If that means you don't go to the party, if that means you don't watch certain TV shows, if that means you don't talk about it or don't talk about it a lot, I get it. And don't. We take care of ourselves we, we do comfort behaviors, comfort activities, right? We all know what comfort food is. It's the food that we have when we, we just, we, we just want to feel good. Comfort behaviors are that too. Sometimes it's we watch The Office for the 50th time. Sometimes it's we just watch Hallmark movies because they're dumb and predictable. Sometimes we just don't do anything. And that's okay for a period of time. And then... We need to open up and start talking about it. And maybe it's talking about it with your husband. You're talking about it with a therapist, which is fantastic. And then we slowly and patiently live our life again. And we try to step one, one at a time into the things that we used to do. And it might be going back to the parties. It might be seeing, that, seeing those friends. It might be reading that book, watching that show. One at a time. We don't need to jump all the way back into being our, quote, old self. But slowly and steadily, and then knowing we're going to see things that remind you of the pain. And going to see things that are going to bring up the anxiety, the sadness, the anger, the loss, fill in the blank. And you're going to be tempted to ruminate and avoid. Resist the rumination and keep doing the thing that you're doing, one thing at a time. We acknowledge that there was that thought, that trigger, and then you move past it, and you try to shift into the next thing, try to shift back to the conversation, shift back to the movie, shift back to whatever you're doing. But don't try to suppress it or pretend like it's not there or try to tell yourself that you should be over it by now, you should be okay with it by now. You don't have to be. You will in time be the person that you're going to be, and it's going to have the position in your life, in your mind, in your heart that it's going to have, and that's going to be workable for you. But don't expect it to fully go away. I'm struck by me bringing this up here on the podcast, my own, uh, our own struggles, and what it has felt like for us. And it's a surprise. It's a surprise. It's been a lot of years since we've gone through that struggle uniquely. It's been five or more since we started that, my wife and I started that process, and, and yet it still feels this way. So give yourself patience. 
and ex- and how do you how do you be present? You try to shift back to the present and know that that feeling is going to be there. Maybe for you, it's also going to be. I know for some, there can be a um, kind of a a, a, a a ritual or a reminder or a kind of a, a thing that you can do to acknowledge the loss as a totem, as kind of a, a, a thing of remembrance for the loss. And we acknowledge that it's there, but it's not the over, but we don't need to hold it. We basically take that thing, that representation of it, we put it to the side and we remember it that it's there, it's on the shelf, it's on the mantle, it's somewhere. But we don't, we don't have to remind ourselves or we don't have to live in it all day, every day. We can let ourselves get back to our lives and let ourselves get back to that feeling. And for some, there can be that sense of like, man, what if I, what if I just completely let go of it, right? Almost like, it's like they've done something bad by not having that sense of loss. And I'll say again, it's different for every person, but you can allow yourself to be you can allow yourself to be present and have that feeling, that thought, but, but not treating it as it's the main event. It's going to be the giant ampersand in your life that for a time, it's going to be both. And man, I remember going through the process and like every freaking show what had some infertility nonsense in it. And it just broke us. And over time... We can watch it. We can watch shows that have that in it. We joke about it. It's almost a sense of like, of course they have this on there. Of course this is the theme of this episode. Why wouldn't they? And it was like the very specific issue that my wife and I were dealing with. It was like the the topic du jour of like every show we watched. We were, we were annoyed to the point that it was comical, that it was ridiculous, though it still didn't feel good, but it was ridiculous. So... Stacy, I, I hope any of this was helpful. And again, I'm sorry for your loss. And I hope you are working through this and um, you, you are on the other side of it by now. But thank you so much for your vulnerability in, in sharing this with us. So why don't I slide the, uh, 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 the end music here? And we'll, we'll, we'll call it for today. So we got through a lot of questions. There's a lot of things, a lot of surprises, for me at least. Thank you all so much for being a part of this. And again, thank you so much for including me in this process and including everybody else in this process. I'll say to everybody as well, as a reminder, if you, if you want to send in a question, please know that um, every question that's up here is anonymous. Um, Stacy's not a real name. But Stacy's the name that, that uh, they want to give. So Stacy's what I'll call, call them. So you can send me a question in and you can have your fake name. And pretty much whatever you write down, I will read. And um, so there's a little bit of anonymity, but um, I, I want this to be a place where you can share and that um, you can hopefully get some answers and help, some help and some direction. I hope that's uh, today has been that. So, if, um, as I'll, I'll remind everybody, the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your treatment, you can go over to uh, fearcastpodcast.com. You can uh, click on the Find Help link, and there's going to be some information and stuff in there. But um, until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously.